Good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would open up a Bible to Jeremiah, the 10th chapter. The Old Testament cranking for just a moment. We're going to start there, but then we'll swiftly move to the New Testament. Jeremiah chapter 10 is where we're going to begin. as We get ready to open up the Word of the Lord and consider some things that we need to think about, things that we're thinking about here as a local congregation of God's people. As you're turning to Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, I'll join in the welcome from earlier. It's great to see everybody tonight. We do have uh, quite a great... Uh, Great attendance this evening. Glad that you're here. Got visitors with us. Appreciate so much your presence with us tonight. Hope that you're finding everything that we are engaged in this evening to be in spirit and in truth and keeping with the teaching of the New Testament. That's what we're trying to be about here at Lakeside. Glad that you've come to be with us. In Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, I'm going to ask you to read with me, if you will, verse number 21. In Jeremiah, chapter 10, and in verse 21, hear the prophet of God speaking, speaking on behalf of God. Jeremiah 10, verse 21, he says... For the shepherds are stupid, and they do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore they have not prospered, and all their flock is scattered. You know, even if you had never read another verse in the entire book of Jeremiah, that one verse would summarize much of the problems that plagued God's people in that day and in that time. Because what Jeremiah is decrying in that one statement is that there was a major crisis of leadership. During a period of national upheaval, Jeremiah faithfully preached the Word of God, calling God's people to repentance for the better part of 40 years, while all of the so-called leaders of his day, the kings, the priests, the other prophets of that time, they were making just an absolute wreck of things through their ungodliness and through their incompetence. These shepherds were largely ill-equipped. They were ill-informed. They were unqualified to lead God's people. Which is why Jeremiah uses what we might consider to be just a very harsh term to describe these men. He describes them as stupid, senseless, stupid shepherds. A word that was usually reserved for an animal. An animal that is just devoid and deficient of any kind of moral or spiritual things. The truth is, this is not the only time in Israel's history where they had some leadership problems. Really, all of Israel's history is just littered with leadership problems. Bad leaders, from men like King Saul, to Jeroboam, to Ahab, to Manasseh. The list of bad leaders is a veritable who's who list of Cretans and cowards and 'er ne'er-do-wells. And that's certainly not to say that there weren't ever any good leaders, because there most certainly were. I think of good men like Hezekiah and Josiah. Or go back a little bit further to David and Solomon, or even further back in Israel's history, Joshua and Moses. When there were righteous and godly men who led God's people in God's way, then good things followed. But whenever selfish and senseless and stupid men assumed that role... God's people suffered. God's people were like scattered sheep, Jeremiah says. Leadership. Leadership among the people of God, it makes all the difference. We are in the midst of a series of studies here at Lakeside, a series of efforts to try and find and appoint leaders for this local church. We are looking at the Bible, and we are looking out amongst our very own number for a certain kind of man. Men who can provide us with the kind of leadership 
that was obviously desperately lacking in Jeremiah's day. And while as we look around at the religious world at large today, and the religious world at large today seems to be kind of just mostly satisfied with just whatever leadership model best suits them, whether that be a, a, a clergy or an appointed board of deacons or maybe a pastor, we are interested here at Lakeside We're interested in God's plan. We're not interested in some idea that we might come up with. We're interested in God's plan for local church leadership. What is God's arrangement? What is God's design? And how can we end up achieving that goal? This is tonight the fourth sermon that I am presenting in this series. And while the first three lessons that I've presented have mostly been able to address some some angles and some ideas that I know have not really been talked about necessarily in depth during the Wednesday night class on this same subject, tonight you are going to begin hearing a little bit of overlap with some of the things that have been talked about in the Wednesday night class as we talk tonight about the function and about the work of leaders in the local church. Next month I will begin kind of doing my due diligence in preaching on the qualifications But before we can talk about those qualifications, we need to talk a little bit about what that system of leadership ought to look like. And we need to see this evening how it differs. In fact, how it differs greatly from the systems of leadership that exist in the religious world today. We want to ask, what's that supposed to be like? What is that not supposed to look like and what should that look like? Who is leading? How is that leading to be done? Those questions are just as important today as they were during the time of Jeremiah. We need to know what it means for God's people to be led in God's way. Now as we talk about that this evening, what you're going to see very quickly is that the pattern established in the New Testament is very, very different from the leadership models that are practiced by most churches today. How exactly are most churches organized in our world today? Well, most churches today function under what I'm just simply going to call the single pastor system. That means there's one man and he's in charge. He is the pastor. And very much like the chief executive officer in a a business or in a corporation, the CEO, he has just a free hand to run that company and to implement his vision as he sees fit. If the shareholders maybe don't like his style of leadership, or if the bottom line isn't quite up to par as to where it needs to be, then yes, maybe the shareholders, they can remove him from that office. But generally speaking, when you talk about kind of day-to-day operations, the CEO, he kind of just runs the joint. He can hire people and he can fire people. He makes decisions that will affect the future of that company. And that is exactly the model that many churches are utilizing today. The pastor, he's very much like the CEO. He implements his vision for the church. He can hire staff and he can fire staff. He makes decisions about what kind of programs the church is going to be involved in. He determines really what that church is all about. And as a result, many churches today are being run, well, they're being run like American corporations. It is a business model. And to their credit, it is highly efficient. And it produces results. Not necessarily the results that God wants, but it produces results. It is the pastor system. Would you look with your Bibles with me in Acts the 14th chapter? In Acts chapter 14, what we see here 
in the New Testament is we see something entirely different from that model. In Acts chapter 14, this is one of those places in the Bible where just a single word makes all the difference. In Acts chapter 14, this is verse 23. In fact, not just a single word, but a single letter. In Acts 14, look in verse 23, there we're told that when they, this is Paul and Barnabas, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Would you please underscore in your mind that word elders, and please note the S at the end of that, which denotes a plurality of men. In the New Testament, there is never just one sole guy, and he's at the top of the food chain, and he's in charge leading the church. What we see in the New Testament always is a plurality of men filling that role of leadership. And it is probably fair for us just to note the wisdom in that. Think about it. When we see the pastor system at work in the religious world today, what happens whenever the pastor may be maybe falls into sin and into scandal and into into disgrace. What usually happens? Well, what happens is he ends up dragging the whole church down with him. The whole place falls apart. Or what happens whenever the pastor preaches and embraces false teaching and error? Well, what happens is, is he takes the whole church, just brings them down, drags them right along with him. You see, there's no one there to, to keep him in check because he's the guy. He's at the top of the food chain. He is the lead all. And so there's wisdom in what God has set up. Almost a sense of checks and balances here by having a plurality of men in this role. But you know what? Whether or not we ever recognize the wisdom in what God has set up really doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter whether we like that or even agree with that. Because what we're looking at right there and in Acts 14 verse 23, this is God's set up. This is how God does things. And your opinion and my opinion is really quite irrelevant here. And what all of this is to say is that we're not looking for a guy who can sit at the top of the food chain and he can just kind of run the whole show. Actually, that position has already been filled. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the head of His church. And so what we're looking for, if I could just borrow that line from the Marines, is we're just looking for a few good men. A few good men who have met those Holy Spirit-given qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. The Holy Spirit-inspired work that is described in 1 Peter 5. In fact, would you find 1 Peter chapter 5? In 1 Peter 5, Peter actually makes several key points here about God's plan for church leadership. Notice with me, if you will, verses 1, 2, and 3. In 1 Peter 5, there in verse 1, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. What we see in the New Testament is a plurality of elders who shepherd and care for the church that is among them. This is not an elder who governs over many other churches. This is not an elder, a group of elders who govern churches all over the county, or churches all over the state, or even churches all over the world. No. 
Peter says, you shepherd the flock that is among you. And once again, we see a very sharp contrast to how much of man-made religion operates today. Because the pastor system allows for leaders to direct the affairs of, of multiple congregations. And we're seeing that more and more today, especially as technology advances and kind of all kinds of opportunities of things to be able to be done with technology. We're seeing more and more the idea of the, the satellite campus thing being set up by lots of larger churches. I think specifically, just kind of specific examples here in Kentucky, I think about the Southland Christian Church. Big church. And they have campuses in Lexington and in Danville and in Nicholasville and in Georgetown. And so here's supposedly this one church, but all, all these different locations and all these different folks. Or we see as well sometimes today, little churches, and they're being shepherded by, by kind of the mother church. That's probably best illustrated in Roman Catholicism, isn't it? Where everybody answers right back up to the mothership there in, Vatic- in the Vatican in Rome. But of course, you think about that, and you look at that, and you don't find anything like that in the New Testament. What we see in the New Testament are independent, local churches that have their own elders. And they tend to their own flocks. You know, I hold in high esteem the elders in some of the other congregations uh, all around the state, good men that I've gotten to know. Some good elders in the church at, at East End where my brother Luke and his family attend. I think a lot of those men hold them in high regard. But you know what? If those guys come down here and they want to start meddling in the business of this congregation, and they start barking out orders to us, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that, we're going to have a problem there. Because what's God's plan for leadership? Shepherd the flock that is among you. And that is vastly different from the way that many churches operate today, isn't it? But I want to emphasize to you that the New Testament way, it is better Because God's way is always better and it's always the best. But it doesn't stop there. You continue to look at God's plan. What you'll find is you'll find a plurality of men who are shepherding the flock among them and they're doing that as servants. That's the style of leadership that we're looking for. Servant leadership. And we see that illustrated really all throughout the Scripture. From men like Moses up to men like Nehemiah, all the way up to men like Jesus Himself. God's leaders have always been a portrait of servanthood. And that seems to be a completely foreign concept in much of the religious world. Because when you think about that pastor system, the the CEO model, how is the pastor treated? Well, he's treated and he's looked at almost like, like a celebrity, like a rock star. In fact, there's several of these kind of rock star, young, hit pastors that are really big and are gaining mainstream attention in our day and time. And this is the guy that, he makes the big bucks. And he is the, the face of the congregation. And he does what he wants, when he wants, wherever and however he wants. He's the man. He is the guy that gets all the perks and all of the privileges that go along with being the top dog. Now I want to be clear, even as I make that point there, I do not believe and I do not want to suggest that every man who wears that title of pastor, that he sees himself as some kind of rock star or celebrity, or even that every pastor is even treated 
like a celebrity. I have a couple of friends that they do. They wear that title of, of pastor in the various churches that they are a part of. And they don't go around with any kind of airs acting like they're some kind of a big dog. And they probably would tell me that they don't really get treated like they're some kind of a rock star. But you know what? We sure have seen an awful lot of examples of that kind of thing all throughout time and in the news. Scandals where churches were just spun into financial ruin all because the pastor was making just obscene amounts of money and he was living in huge mansions and he was driving all these lavish cars so much so that the pastor had convinced himself that he was just kind of above the rules. He was above even God's rules. The Bible has something to say about that. Would you find the book of Ezekiel, please? In Ezekiel 34... We're talking here trying to get some servant leadership, but what about self-serving leadership? God says something about that in Ezekiel 34. What about these leaders who are all about getting the perks and the privileges and the goodies for themselves? Ezekiel 34 verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Oh, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Ezekiel wants to say something here to these shepherds who are in this for themselves. They were enjoying all the status that came along with their position. They were using it to line their own pockets and to fatten their own bellies. Verse 3, you eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you haven't strengthened, the sick you haven't healed, the injured you haven't bound up, the stray you've not brought back, the lost you haven't sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep, God says, my sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. This idea that I can use and abuse the sheep for my own selfish purposes, that is fiercely and it is specifically rebuked here in the Word of God. And not just in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament as well. Look in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, try the words of Jesus on for size. Because even amongst the apostles, there was controversy from time to time over the idea of greatness. How do we achieve a status of greatness in the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus wants to give an answer for that. In Matthew chapter 20, this is verse 25, Jesus said to them, He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Servant. What a breakthrough idea that is. In fact, I'm afraid that there are Christians who don't even really understand the principle that Jesus is setting forth here. Because in their mind, they view those who serve as elders, they kind of view them as kind of the top dogs in the church. And so they decide, maybe even they think to themselves, you know what, one of these days I'm going to run for elder. Yeah, I'm going to run for elder. That way I can get what I want around here. And I can get some of the things that I've been wanting done, done around here. People will do for me. And I can just bark out orders and people will have to do. Yeah, I'll just run for elder. How absurd. 
Has anyone ever run for the office of a servant? Hey, vote for me, I'll be your slave. Never heard anybody say that. And yet that is exactly what Jesus says His leaders are to be. Jesus says in the kingdom of God that leaders are the ones who are not going to be getting all the perks and the power. Leaders instead are the ones who are going to be down on their knees. They're going to be serving. They're going to be like Jesus. Isn't that right when we talk about Jesus? Jesus gave Himself up. I talked in the last lesson in this series about that idea, more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus was the epitome of that. Jesus gave Himself up. Gave of Himself. Gave up heaven. All of the perks and the benefits that go along with heaven gave that up. Came down here to do what? To serve. To serve a bunch of wretched sinners like you and me. To die for us. And what does He do? He calls His people. And especially those who would be leaders, He calls them to follow His example. What does that say then for people who think that kind of the primary token, the token image for the eldership is a boardroom table. That elders function like some kind of a board, and they're just kind of privately running things from some backroom decision-making headquarters somewhere. No. That's not the token that we ought to think of when we think of elders. In the New Testament, the primary symbol of elders would be that shepherd's crooked staff. In fact, that's what I have on the logo for this series. Elders don't quester themselves off in a back room, away from the flock. No, they're they're with the flock. They're there knowing the sheep, shepherding the sheep, serving the sheep. How different that is from the world's way of church government. And yet I'll say one more time, this way is better because it is God's way. In fact, as we start to come to think then about the work that these leaders do, we begin to see just how marvelous what God has set up here. Just the very terms that the Holy Spirit uses to identify these men and what they're all about, those terms are just so descriptive and full of meaning in and of themselves. Look in Acts chapter 20. I'll actually show you all three of these in one place. In Acts chapter 20, here's all of these terms in action. And the first is found in verse 17. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 17... There it says, now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. That is probably our, our, maybe our favorite title, I guess. It's probably at least the most commonly used that I hear, and it's the one that we are the most familiar with. Elders. Now that is a term that could just simply mean someone who is older. But here in Acts 20 and verse 17, It means more than just somebody who is older. It speaks of men who by virtue of their their experience, and yes, their age, and by virtue of having met those qualifications, that these are men who have wisdom. Wisdom that is so greatly needed in guiding the flock. You know, I need to be able to trust the wisdom and the judgment of an elder. Imagine if I find myself in a situation where my soul is in danger. Well, who can I turn to? Who can I trust that there is going to be there to offer some some wise counsel to help me? It's an elder. Or what if my marriage gets upon some rocky times and it's not being the kind of marriage that it ought to be? Where, Where can I go? Who can I listen to? 
Now suppose I could go turn on Dr. Phil, or I could go buy me some self-help books at Barnes and Noble. I guess I could do that. But who could I trust that I have direct access to? That could give me some very personal, godly wisdom that will help to make my marriage what it ought to be. Elders. Or you know what? Maybe I'm having trouble with my kids. My kids are unruly. They're undisciplined. They won't listen to me. I can't make them obey. They don't, they don't honor me as their father. Who can I seek out that could give me and impart some wisdom to me to help in rearing my children? Elders. That is a term that is so rich with meaning. It's full of wisdom. And it causes us to recognize that these men, these men know. These men have done it. These men have been there. Trust their wisdom. And I can trust their wisdom because these are men who are seeking to shepherd the flock. That is the second of those terms. If you're still there in Acts 20, look at verse 28. In Acts 20 and verse 28, Paul tells these elders, these wise men, he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. You see that expression there? To care, or maybe to feed, some translations say. If you were looking at an actual Greek Bible, you would see a word that at least looks closely akin to the word pastor, or the word shepherd. To pastor and to shepherd the flock of God. And that is the proper use of that term pastor. I don't want to bash the word pastor. You'll notice I've got it over here on the screen in the the quotation marks to distinguish it. The word pastor is a good word. It does mean this idea of a shepherd. And that is what shepherds do, as Paul uses the words here. That they care for, they feed, they watch out for the souls in that local congregation. And that, that really does need to be stressed. Sometimes I'm afraid that we get to thinking... That the primary work of elders, if the Lord should bless us to have an eldership, we get to think that the primary job of elders is to make decisions. You'll even sometimes hear that in prayers that are offered. Sometimes you'll go somewhere and, and, and it's a congregation that has elders and somebody gets up and leads the prayer and they'll say, Lord, please help our elders and bless them that they'll make the right decisions for this congregation. And make no mistake about it, there is a decision making component to their work. We'll get to that momentarily. But i got to tell you, when I think of a shepherd, I don't really think of a shepherd as being a, a professional decision maker. Is that what you think of? Is that really the image that comes into our mind? You know, here's this shepherd, and he's walking around his farm with a briefcase. And he goes into his office, and he turns on his computer and fires up Microsoft Excel, and he prints out a bunch of spreadsheets so that he can make some decisions today. That just doesn't seem very shepherd-like, does it? A shepherd who spends all of his time in the office looking at paint chips so that he can decide what color to paint the barn, that's a shepherd whose sheep are going to end up wandering off. They're going to get eaten by the wolves. But a shepherd, on the other hand, who cares for the flock, a shepherd who is among the flock, that man's going to know his sheep. And he's going to be looking to their welfare. And yes, that is going to include some decision making. Got to decide where we're going to go for water today. Got to decide where we're going to pasture on this particular go-round. But he's going to be thinking about that. He's going to be tending primarily to the health and the safety and the well-being of his flock. In fact, would you hold your place in Acts here? Look at Hebrews 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, notice in verse 17, 
In Hebrews the 13th chapter and in verse 17, the Hebrew writer says there, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Yes, there is some decision making to an elder. There's no doubt about that. We ought to pray for their decision making abilities. But maybe what we ought to pray for even more so is their shepherding abilities. For their courage. For their patience as they do what? As they watch over your souls. Now if you were to turn back to Acts chapter 20, look again at that verse in verse 28, you would find the third of those terms. That elders, shepherds in a local church, they're also referred to as overseers. And that probably is the kind of the the decision-making word that the New Testament uses of these men. It is a term that can also mean to be a manager, a guardian, a superintendent. And elders need to have some things that they are managing and guarding and superintending. Things like, what kind of Bible class material are we going to use? Who will we invite to come and speak during our our special series of studies and during our gospel meeting? How can we arrange the services to create an atmosphere that will bring about maximum edification as we worship the Lord? All the time there's going to be overseeing that's going on. Managing things so that this is where we are. and This is where we need to be. And elders are always thinking about how can we get from point A to point B. Elders are overseeing the flock, making sure that everything that we do honors the Lord, glorifies the Lord, stays in keeping with the teachings of the Lord, so that when all is said and done, we can all go to heaven together for eternity. Now you get done looking just at those descriptive titles, and it seems to me that really, really there is no more important work on this earth than to be an elder, a shepherd, an overseer for the people of God. And maybe the reason that so many churches have tried to kind of tweak that a little bit, to stray away from that plan, is because God's plan, it is so serious. And it is so demanding. And I wonder if people just don't want to do that leadership stuff His way because it is so difficult. But you know what? Human ideas and human opinions... They will never ever be able to match or surpass the ageless wisdom of the Lord who wants His people to have spiritually minded leaders that will watch out for His people's souls. My hope and my prayer is that one day, sooner rather than later, that this church will have men who are ready to accept that awesome responsibility. Men who are ready to face the challenges that the devil will no doubt throw in our way, either from within or from without, men who are willing to stand in the gap in order to help us and protect us, the sheep, getting to heaven. Those of you that have been here for these other lessons, you know that I have spoke about this very passionately. And part of that is because I look at this over here. And i got to tell you, this single pastor system, this one guy in charge thing, I don't think anybody here looks at me in that way. I certainly hope. But sometimes when you're in an elderless congregation, the preacher just kind of by de facto becomes the face of the congregation, if you will. And sometimes, I'll admit, 
Sometimes I think I maybe even accept and bring upon things upon myself that maybe even make my job as an evangelist deeper and more difficult than it ought to be. Having said all of that, it still doesn't change where I am. I want so much for this congregation to have leaders. That some of the things that I I know that I try to kind of take on to myself, these men, qualified men, will be able and ready to do, to do the work that God has appointed His shepherds, His elders, His overseers to be involved in. What then maybe is the takeaway for the rest of us? Talk about these things in kind of general sorts of terms. What might then be the application for those of us as the flock? Those of us who would be sheep in God's arrangement. If the Lord should bless us to have elders, what then is our responsibility? Let me give you three very quick takeaways. First of all, those of us who are sheep, we need to be involved in prayer. And in fact, all three of these things are things that we need to be doing now, even before we have elders. And once we do have elders, we want to continue to do these things. We want to be involved in prayer. That passage we read earlier from Acts 14 verse 23 says that before they commended these men to the work of shepherding, they prayed together. And we want to be doing that. I appreciate our men who've been making that more a part of our prayers here in the worship assembly. But we want to be involved in that kind of praying personally in our own private time. Praying that God would bless us in that way. And when the day comes that we have men who serve as elders, we want to keep on praying for those guys. Praying that the Lord will give them wisdom, give them courage in in what is oftentimes a very thankless and a very difficult job. We want to hold these men up in prayer. And then secondly, we need to change that thankless part. We need to understand the gravity and the importance of the work of elders. And that is by expressing our gratitude to those men who would devote their lives to such a serious undertaking. We want to let those men know when we have them just how thankful we are for them. That they would be willing to wear that that heavy mantle of responsibility and leadership. And in the meantime, we want to go ahead and start building that gratitude. Let's start planting some seeds of encouragement in our men here. Let's build some trust now and instill some confidence now so that when that day comes, these men will know, these people trust me. And they want to encourage me in that work. And I am encouraged by that. And then thirdly, all of that praying and all of that gratitude really is quite meaningless if we're not willing to do this third thing. And that is to submit to their leadership. We read that passage in Hebrews chapter 13 a moment ago, which makes it clear that this obedience thing, this submission thing, this is not optional equipment. It is a command of the Lord. And I want you to know that that submission, that obedience, it isn't just commanded just in those cases where we agree with what the elders have decided. When what they have decided makes, well, yeah, okay, that makes obvious sense to me, and so I'll submit and go along with that. No, 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 no. The real test of submission is when they make a decision, they make a judgment call that maybe we really didn't like. Maybe that's not the way that I would have done that. When they do something that maybe I didn't 110% agree with them doing or even understand all the logic behind it, that, that is when our commitment to submit and to obey, that's when that will really be tested. And that's when those who understand the New Testament pattern for leadership, they're going to just do exactly what New Testament Christians have always done, and that is submit to and support godly leaders. And In the meantime, we want to build that kind of environment here. We want to promote an atmosphere of submission as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5 talks about that. 
We want to make it known that we want to be led. We desire to have men who would lead us in the way that God has designed. These kinds of things, prayer, gratitude, submission, these are vital responsibilities of the sheep, of the sheep and we must never forget them. Now let me tell you what I hope doesn't happen tonight. I hope that nobody leaves here this evening and that maybe the only thing that you get out of this lesson and the only thing you take home with you is this stuff over here. And you go home with that and say, boy, I tell you what, boy, the religious world at large, boy, they just really muffed it up. Boy, people out there, they just don't do it God's way. Boy, these people, they just just made a total mess of God's plan for leadership. You know, how bad on them. I hope that you have gained more than just that. I hope what you have seen is I hope you've seen that you have a role. You have a role in making sure that God's plan gets carried out and executed in God's way in this place and in this flock. Now in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song that's been selected as an invitation song. It is very fitting that we would talk so much about this idea of shepherding, Because that really is what the invitation is all about. And it is about an invitation to follow, to submit ourselves to the shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus the Christ. Have you done that? Have you entrusted your soul? Have you entrusted your very life? Entrusted everything about your person to our Lord? Done that through faith, through obedience to Him and to His will? If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism, all things are ready and prepared and available for you to do that this evening. In fact, to do that in a relatively short period of time. We can help you to become a Christian tonight. It would be our honor and our privilege and we would rejoice with you in helping you to do just that. If you are a child of God, maybe you're one of those sheep, but you have went astray. You've allowed sin, you've allowed the attacks of the devil to get the advantage over you and you've not been what you ought to be as one of God's sheep. Then brother or sister, return. Come back in humility, spirit of repentance. Let us pray with you, encourage you, and help you in whatever way that we can as well. Whatever your need might be. Why don't you take advantage of this opportunity right now. Respond to the invitation of the Lord. Do that by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.